What better way to spend May 16th than to spend it with me, your host, Blake Farley, on the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast? Well, I don't know if that's true, but evidently you're spending your day with me, at least a portion of it, in this podcast, and I am super honored that you would spend a portion of your day doing just that, and we are going to do just what we always do on this podcast. We are going to read through the one-year Bible, and indeed, it is May 16th. Let's waste no more time than that which we have already wasted by jumping into our Old Testament reading, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5 through chapter 19, verse 24. We just finished reading about David versus Goliath. That is the context we find ourselves in. Verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They danced and sang for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over 1,000 men, and David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. One day Saul said to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter Merab as your wife. But first you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. Who am I and what is my family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? David exclaimed, my father's family is nothing. So, when the time came for Saul to give his daughter Merab to David, he gave her instead to Adriel, a man from Meholah. In the meantime, Saul's daughter, Michael, had fallen in love with David, and Saul was delighted when he heard about it. Here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines, Saul said to himself. But to David, he said, Today you have a second chance to become my son-in-law. Then Saul told his men to say to David, The king really likes you, and so do we. Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? <laughs> this is hilarious. Saul's like, tell him I like him so he'll take my daughter and then I can kill him. Uh, last time David got out of it by saying, oh, I, not me, I could never be the king's son-in-law. This is kind of humorous. Verse 22. Then Saul told his men to say to David, the king really likes you and so do we. Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? When Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, how can a poor man from a humble family afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? When Saul's men reported this back to his men, he told them, Tell David that all I want for the bride 
price is 100 Philistine foreskins. That's disgusting. I don't know why Saul would want that, but that's what he wants. <laughs> Continuing on in verse 25. Vengeance on my enemies is all I really want. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. David was delighted to accept the offer. Before the time limit expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. Then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting all their foreskins to him. So Saul gave his daughter Michael to David in, to be his wife. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michael loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. That concludes chapter 18, moving on to chapter 19, verse 1. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warns him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he brought David to Saul, and David served in the court as before. War broke out again after that, and David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. But one day, when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way. And leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, If you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then she took an idol and put it in his bed, covered it with blankets, and put a cushion of goat's hair at its head. When the troops came to arrest David, she told them he was sick and couldn't get out of bed. But Saul sent the troops back to David. He ordered, bring him to me in his bed so I can kill him. But when they came to carry David out, they discovered it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair at its head. Why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? Saul demanded of Michael. I had to, Michael replied. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help him. So David escaped and went to Ramah to see Samuel, and he told him all that Saul had done to him. Then Samuel took David with him to live at Naoth. When the report reached Saul that David was at Naoth in Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived and saw Samuel leading a group of prophets who were prophesying, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also began prophecy. When Saul heard what had happened, he sent other troops, but they too prophesied. The same thing happened a third time. That, that, that's just humorous, guys. So Saul keeps sending troops to kill David, and every time they get there, the, the Spirit of God turns them into prophets. It's 
Awesome. <laughs> Verse 22. Finally saw himself. <laughs> Nobody else will do it. I'm going to go do it myself. Finally saw himself, went to Rama, and arrived at the great well in Seku. Where are Samuel and David, he demanded. They are at Nuith and Rama, someone told him. But on the way to Naith and Rama, the Spirit of God came even upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy all the way to Naith. He tore off his clothes and lay naked on the ground all day and all night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. The people who were watching exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? That concludes our Old Testament reading, and I feel like a really good movie that would be hilarious could be made off of that chapter. Somebody should do that. Moving on to the New Testament, John chapter 8, verse 31 through 59. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we see an if here, verse 31. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. A lot of talk about um, is salvation something you can lose? Uh, Which is just, it's an interesting question that I don't think a first century Christian would have even asked. It's just something that in our culture we are so caught up on making a decision for Jesus. Um, You know, which, which isn't all bad. We want people to make a decision to trust in Jesus. I trusted in Jesus. I raised my hand at a church camp at, at Falls Creek or, or some other youth camp, whatever it might be. And uh, so I want to know, can I lose that salvation? Well, Jesus would say here, you never truly were probably his disciple if you didn't remain faithful to his teachings. Why? Well, because to become truly saved, to be somebody who uh, experiences justification, which means to be made right before God, you have to truly trust that Jesus is who he says he is. And there's no way you're going to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. The God of this universe, the one who came in flesh, died and rose again. There's no way you're going to truly believe that. And then just give up later at some point in time. No, no, no. If you truly believe in him, the fruit of that is that you will remain in in his teachings. You will be growing more and more like him. So is it possible to lose your salvation? Well, not if you're truly saved, but is it possible to claim faith in Jesus and then not live out that faith? And, you know, the fruit of your life would say that you never really had faith in Jesus to begin with? Well, yeah, of course. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. The gospel is that Jesus came to live the life you couldn't live, died the death you deserved to die, and rose again as new creation and promises that you can share in that new creation if you trust in him. It's good news, not advice, news, something that you believe in. And when you believe in it, then actions come out of it. Very different than do actions to earn God's love. No, it's after I embrace God's love for me, then at that point, because I feel so loved, because I'm growing in the grace of God, I begin to change. And I want to be faithful to his teachings because I believe he is who he says he is. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And he has that famous line in verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 33, but we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean? you will be set free. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied. For if you were really children of Abraham, you would follow his example. 
Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The people retorted, You Samaritan devil, didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? <laughs> no, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth. Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, now, <clears throat> excuse me. The people said, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died. And so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God. But you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, You aren't even fifty years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. That concludes our New Testament reading. And you may say, why would they pick up stones at that last sentence, before Abraham even was even born, I am? Well, you remember what God calls himself in Exodus. Moses says, who are you? What, what does he respond? I am. He is, I am. So Jesus is claiming, I am God. He's saying, I, I am the one, uh, which is blasphemy, right? Well, it's not blasphemy if you truly are God. And Jesus is making that claim here. All right, moving on to our proverb of the day. Proverbs 15, 12 through 14. Chapter 15, verse 12. Mockers hate to be corrected, so they stay away from the wise. A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. And finally, we'll conclude by reading the 112th Psalm in a posture of prayer. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness of the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. 
They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes thwarted. God, let us be like this person uh, in this psalm, uh, prosperous in what you say counts and what you say matters. And we know, Lord, that if we follow you and live in alignment with what your spirit would lead us to do, we will. Uh, Lord, and we know that we are helpless and powerless to live a life like this without you. And Lord, we also know that the point of life isn't to have these things um, and to miss you. What is a gain to gain the world and miss out on you? Uh, Lord, yet we know that if we live according to your wisdom, we can have uh, a prosperous life. But ultimately, the goal of our life is not to have a prosperous life. The goal of our life is to know you because that is what it means to have eternal life. That is what it means to truly prosper. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your gospel, the good news of Jesus doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me here today, and I hope to see you back here tomorrow for another episode of Reading Through the Bible Together.